Let's open this episode like a good Mormon meeting with a song. <coughs> me, 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 me. Families can't be together forever. Through Heavenly Father's plan, I always want to be with my own family. And the Lord has shown me how I can. The Lord has shown me how I can. Woo! Jesus Christ of Latin Day <laughs> Did I do a good job? Yeah. Yeah, there's uh, dogs barking in the neighborhood. Uh... <laughs> I think they could hear the notes that we hit. Hi, I'm Daniel, and I'm the oldest. I'm James, and I'm the hottest. I'm Andrew, and I'm also the hottest. <laughs> We're, We're brothers. brothers. And this is Mormon Raised, a sibling podcast. Today's episode is the season one finale, Together Forever, where we talk about families. Do you remember the Mormon commercials growing up? The ones with the tagline, family, isn't it about time? (laughs) Yeah, like uh, they've got like the dad's like working or something and the little kid comes running in with like i don't know like a princess costume or like a sword and he's like i'm like too busy i'm too busy i can't and then he like looks at a picture of jesus or like thinks for a second and so then he goes out and they have like an adventure that's like family isn't it about time yeah and that's a great sentiment but that's not really what mormons mean when they say that families can be together forever what do they mean? When Mormons say families can be together forever, they're talking about being sealed in a temple. Oh, I thought they were talking about church. <laughs> <laughs> they spend together forever <laughs> sitting three hours in church. <laughs> and it feels like forever. <laughs> a sealing is a ritual that binds all the members of a family so they can all be together in the next life. But it's conditioned on every family member following all all of the Mormon rules. All of them. Because it's not possible for like an all-powerful God being to just allow families to be together. To be together. No, he's going to make you work for it. And in order to make it to the highest of highest heaven, you have to marry someone in the temple. And just in case you were curious, they do not allow gay marriage in there. That's right. You need to marry someone or someones in the temple. True. Because <laughs> the origin of being sealed together was because Joseph Smith needed a way to be sealed to many women. In secret. That's why no one is allowed in Mormon temples except for those who are already bought into it. So what you're saying is that Mormons actually believe that most families won't be together and only the like elitist families, the like super righteous ones will be together forever. The song should actually be like, most families won't be together forever, just the really special Mormon ones. Something like I that. I like that version. That's catchy. <laughs> right. I don't think other, I don't think people in other religions worry about being together forever. I think they just assume they will be. It actually ends up causing like a lot of family d- divisions, you know? I agree. A lot of families reject their kids if they become big sinners. Not the little ones, the really big sins, like being gay, having sex outside of marriage, drinking, or leaving the church. (gasps) I know, it's so sinful. (laughs) I would never. (laughs) I've talked to several of my peers that that don't have a good relationship with their parents, don't talk to their parents at all, 
because they're gay, because they had a kid outside of marriage, whatever it may be. You know, I have friends in that situation too. And, and unfortunately I, I have some friends whose siblings also were kicked out like when they were younger because of these things. And I wonder, I wonder, is it because they're not going to be with them in heaven? So why would be with them on earth? Is that what's going on? Or is it like, uh, we're doing this, you know, like, I think, I think most Mormons would probably think of it more as like rehab, like, like doing hard, hard drugs. Like we have to, we have to push you away so that you can hit rock bottom. I think that's what they're actually going for. Yeah, I agree. I think it's the, if you are going to choose this path, you have to realize what it's going to do, what it what it means. It's pr- it's pressure. It's manipulation yeah. to try to force force your family members to behave like you want them to. We are very lucky that our parents have never done this to us. They've always loved us, even when we came out of the closet, even when we drink. They are very loving. Though we probably make it hard for them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm I'm probably the hardest to love. Yeah, you're the gayest and <laughs> Actually, I change it. I'm the easiest to love. I'm the best one. All right, so let's let's talk about the ways that that the Mormon Church actually divides families instead of bringing them together. One thing I think really is divisive is missions. So Mormons send young men away to remote parts of the world for two whole years. I went to Brazil and I you have to stay there the entire time without seeing any family. You only get two call, phone calls a year and you can write emails only once a week. And for us, they timed those emails even. We were only allowed to spend half an hour writing. And Correct, reading. only half an hour in front of a computer. And our calls were also limited to a, approximately half an hour. So before my mission, I was very, I couldn't imagine being away from my family. I mean, my family was everything to me, but it was on my mission that I actually realized I could survive just fine without them. And that's because all you wanted was Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> or was it that all you wanted was men? <laughs> I really felt alone on my entire mission. All I wanted to do was go back to my family, go back to my parents, but I felt like my family didn't want me. They wanted me on a mission far away from them. And so I think that was the hardest part is thinking that my family didn't want me to come back. They didn't want to talk to me. They didn't want me to be with them. You're right. We didn't want you. Hey, Dan, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all, which is also the reason why I never wrote either of you on your missions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, what's funny is the person who wrote me the most letters when I was a missionary was my dad. The person who wrote me the second most letters and certainly the most consistent was my best friend who was not Mormon. I was, I was going to say grandma. Grandma wrote me the most. Yeah. Grandma wrote me number two as well. So first was dad. Second was grandma. Then no one. None of you wrote me very well. <laughs> I was a terrible writer. <laughs> I actually wrote Andrew a letter that I never finished. And it was like a Word doc on my desktop waiting to be finished for like two years. Yeah, I'm so glad you <laughs> were thinking so bad. of me. <laughs> I kept going back to add to it, and then when I would go back to finish it, I would realize that nothing was the same anymore, so I'd have to delete it and start over. Yeah, well, really felt the love. (laughs) So, as you can see, it was 
all of us serving missions that really brought us close together. Not. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I think another way the church is really divisive is by not allowing everyone to participate in the core family rituals like the sealing or the temple wedding. These are ceremonies where younger siblings or unworthy siblings, those who aren't living the church standards perfectly, have to wait outside. If you remember our last episode, you'll remember that I went to James's wedding, but I, in order to do so, I had to lie and say I was still being Mormon. Daniel wasn't able to go to that wedding at all, and he's still very bitter. He had to wait outside just like a dog. <laughs> You'd have an easier time getting your dog into the temple than getting me into the temple. <laughs> I think I would, actually. Actually, until very recently, couples in America weren't even allowed to have secular ceremonies before or after their temple weddings. So listeners might not know that I was married since I'm divorced now, but I had a wedding. And I just want to say at my wedding, all of my siblings were invited. And out of six, only one of them came. Families can be together (laughs) forever. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, there there wasn't a lot of togetherness happening back then. Um, There was a lot of pressure not to go. Did you know that I actually wrote about you to an advice columnist and it got published in a newspaper? What? What did they say? That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> so this was back in 2010. There was this advice column. Like a Dear Abby or something? Yeah, like a Dear Abby, but it was a, it was gay themed. Mm-hmm. It wasn't Dan Savage, though. I wrote in saying, what do I do? My brother, I was going to ask him to be my best man, and now he's not coming to my wedding, and it's the most important day of my life. She wrote back and, and published the letter with some really sweet advice, actually. She said, I know that we talk about things like weddings, like they're the most important day in our lives, but that's actually not true. There's a lot of really important days. And um, just because he wasn't there on this one important day, doesn't mean he's not going to be there on other important days. And I think you should just focus on your relationship and, um, you know, really forgive and get over this so that you don't miss more than just that one day. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's Which really I thought, sweet. I think it's good advice. Yeah, it's yeah. good advice. And actually, it was really helpful for me. I resigned from the church, you know, quite a bit before the rest of you, even if only by a few years. So it was lonely for a while. And I really was trying to explore those feelings and themes Uh, in grad school. My thesis was all about my experiences and feelings with Mormonism. You know, honestly, I don't remember seeing this artwork. Was it the one of you drinking coffee? No, (laughs) I'm so glad you paid attention to my master's thesis about Mormon rituals. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I remember the rituals. Yes, yes, yes. It was like uh, the temple performance art. You know, one of the motifs that I was making art about was about a priesthood blessing, which is when a man in the church places his hands on top of uh, the head of another person and speaks words of blessing. To heal them. To heal them, comfort. to give them strength, comfort, advice. Uh, it, you know, it's this this transfer of love, but also blessing from from one Mormon to another. Mm-hmm. Well, I did work about priesthood blessings with a person standing above an empty chair to give blessings, but the person is not there, and so it was a symbol of like how I was feeling cut off from 
the blessings. And then in an effort to reclaim that, I actually do these performances where I would stand above the empty chair and then I would sit in the chair to kind of reclaim the blessings. And I remember this now. I, I don't think it really bothered me, but I'm sure I thought like that formal, like that um, typical Mormon apologetic that's like, you can leave the church, but you can't leave it alone. Well, Andrew sent me a long email begging me to take it down because I was profaning the sacred. Uh, I'm not sure if I remember that. You don't remember a two-page email telling me uh, about how my artwork was terrible? I can't believe you want me to go through this. <laughs> Yes. Okay. I'm starting to remember some of it. It, it. I think everyone should know, though, it wasn't me telling you. It was also like mom, dad, mm-hmm. and other siblings. It, I was just saying what they wanted me to tell you. Profaning the sacred. Does that really sound like Andrew? <laughs> Two-page email. Does I that said... sound like Andrew? <laughs> Honestly, though, if you wanted an ex- if you want a reason why it wasn't me, I would never write two pages. I don't think he's written two pages of anything in his life. Maybe a Broadway review. But I wonder if I have it. I mean, there's got to be a record somewhere. Uh huh. Okay. Uh-huh. Let me see if I can find it. I'll find it. I'll pick the parts I read. <laughs> okay. So this is the email. I found it. I have it. I want the first paragraph says. The things I say are my opinions, but many others in our family have similar thoughts. <laughs> they just don't want to tell you. <laughs> so, so wait, you you mean to tell me that you were just sitting around writing a letter with like the family sitting around you or on speakerphone or something? Like who was there? Who who's? I'd, to be honest, I don't remember. I think paragraphs <laughs> of these were written by different people. <laughs> So you're collecting feedback from the family to criticize my master's thesis. I feel like this is like a copy paste, you know, or possibly even mom opening up his computer and writing it. Okay, so let me read read this paragraph, which pretty much sums up what we're trying to get across. (sighs) To be honest, I think you are a huge idiot. Nothing's changed. (laughs) No, sorry. Okay. I'm pretty sure I that, that's not mom's That sounds like there. <laughs> Okay. <clears throat> I think you are a huge idiot. I think you are dumb. You say you want to be accepted in our family. I understand that. We are pretty cool. You want dad, mom, and all our siblings to accept you and your homosexuality and stay close with you. You are going it about it all wrong. Why would you offend our religion? I don't think there's an easier way to put another wall between us. Your actions tell me you want to separate from our family. You've turned against what is most important to us. Wow. Yeah. So um, I also want to say this was like a couple months before I came out of the closet. So I was also thinking in my head, how am I going to be a homosexual and still stay close to my family? Which is why I think I added in that line that said like, this is not how I plan on, or like you plan to be homosexual, yet you're doing this to separate from the family. In my head, I think I was saying, when I come out of the closet, I'm not going to make our parents and siblings upset by doing something similar. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I was making artwork that was challenging Mormon ideas, but you know, the funny thing about it is, is my artwork kind of demonstrated how obsessed I was with Mormonism. And so really, I was not so different from the rest of you. Interesting. You sent me a very PC email back. Very kind, very PC. As There's a smiley face in here, even though I was pretty <laughs> cruel to you. That sounds like Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, yeah, I don't remember any of this drama. I don't think I was involved because by 2013, I was well. It was your I was senior year in New York. This was this no. was spring 2013. Yeah, that's when I moved to New York. Well, um, the thing is, no one from my family came to see my master's thesis show, and they didn't come to my graduation. Hmm. So, yeah. you know, I I do I did feel very isolated from the family and you you could say that it was my choice to leave mormonism but really like i said i was really still pretty obsessed with the religion so i i don't think that was the real wall yeah no i i agree i think it's it's such a hard time to think back on because i know i was i was in the closet or about to come out of the closet or coming out of the closet. And I was filled with such confusion and anger about the whole thing too. And there's also that, um, like Mormons love that like persecution complex too. So I felt like the, that ran strong. Like you were persecuting us, not the other way around, you know, <laughs> I was persecuting for sharing my experiences of loneliness. Well, I am very sorry that I wrote that email. I feel horrible for saying those words. I was obviously very immature and not in a good headspace. I'm sorry, Daniel. I'm so glad that we're not like that anymore. It's okay, Andrew. Yeah, and I'm sorry I didn't go to the show or the wedding. I forgive you too. <laughs> I have forgiven both of you because honestly, I've done a lot of stuff I'm embarrassed about too. And what's more important is where we are now and how, how we're there for each other now. Yeah, you know, like leaving the church actually did bring us closer together. It's a very true point, though, that actually leaving the church really did bring us all together. And that it's that shared experience was really hard. But because we all shared it, because we all helped each other get through it, now we are all super close. Right. Now it's all seven of us together against mom and dad. <laughs> I hope that's not like that <laughs> just either. Kidding, just yeah. kidding. No. <laughs> I think actually there there are certain things that it's better with mom and dad that we're together and united. And I think mom and dad love seeing how much we love each other and seeing mm -hmm. that we are friends, that we, you know, that we do things together and love each other. I think mom and dad are happy to see that. Yeah. And, you know, in some ways it's helped us. Like, I feel like we've opened up. It's forced us to have difficult conversations, too, with each other. Um, you know, when we were in and out of the church, it's forced us to have some of those difficult conversations that we aren't very good at having. Yeah. Also with the holidays, I feel like we all have a such a strong, fun holiday, like Christmas time um, situation where we all get together and, and we all have a lot of fun and we all have all these traditions that I think even moving outside of the church that we still have. Right. Like just because we don't believe in the church anymore, it doesn't mean we can't have like warm, meaningful experiences singing Christmas songs together. Right. 
a, a lot of our coming together happened when we moved to New York. So the three, all three of us have lived in New York. Um, Andrew and James, did you overlap at all? Mm-hmm. When I was an intern, we did. Mm, yeah, for a few months. Yeah, so for my internship, that was like six weeks, I think. Mm-hmm. We both lived in New York. And then James left to go to Chicago, and then I moved to New York. And I was a little bit worried, I'll be honest. We were not as close back then. It was several years ago now. and But pretty much right away... I I feel like things really started getting better. Like, and I'm a really good sibling to to live in the same city with. You are actually <laughs> very you're, very like, modest. We had a lot of fun. <laughs> you were you did a really good job of like helping me adjust to a new city and showing me around and having a good time. And well, if there's someone to make you fall in love with New York, it's me. I love New York, and I'm happy to share the New York love with everyone and anyone that wants to live here. Let's not forget that I introduced you to New York, Andrew. I think that's a key, key uh, part of the story. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, and then you left. So basically it was James who introduced me to New York. And so thank you, James. Vicariously oh, no. through Andrew. Yes. James, you were, you lived one I knew year. All the gay bars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Early on when I had just moved here, I didn't know the gay bars very well. And I knew, I only knew the names of like one or two. And one of the ones that I knew was... Oh, the Ritz. Oh, this is a good story. (laughs) So he was telling people that his favorite bar was the Ritz. And the Ritz is a fine bar at 3 a.m. when you are trashed and you just want to dance and be (laughs) slutty there's like a go-go boys like it is a trashy place i'll go there and have a great time knowing that it is trash (laughs) so andrew andrew invites me to celebrate one of his co-workers birthdays so we're out to drinks with andrew's co-workers and i'm new to the city and i'm I was like, they were like, well, what have you guys done? And I was like, well, Andrew showed me some gay bars. And they're like, oh, what's your favorite gay bar? (laughs) I said the Ritz. And afterwards, I pulled him aside and said, Daniel, just so you know, you really should come up with a better favorite bar (laughs) because people are going to judge you when you say that you like to go to the Ritz where everyone's coked out and having a gayest of gay time. Is this like? Have you ever? Have you guys seen uh, Righteous Gemstones? No, I have not. No. Oh darn! There's this one. There's this like satanic group that goes to this like club, and that's what I'm imagining. There's like naked people dancing in cages, and like uh, no, nothing, not like that. Yeah. No, it's like that. So. <laughs> you're not wrong. So, you know, that's that's right. Okay, so right. then Andrew introduced me to some much more family-friendly establishments. One thing that's nice about all being out of the church, when we were some of us in the church and some of us out, it was really hard to relate because we couldn't do these things together. So now that we're all kind of on the same page, it's it, it does help us have more fun. Well, and I'd also say that leaving one at a time, you kind of then you bonded with the ones that were out, you know, kind of like... And the ones that were transitioning, know. yeah. And the ones that were transitioning, like, because I felt like you could talk about it with them, like your, like your, the shared experience of leaving, you know? Mm-hmm. Shared trauma. As people started leaving and transitioning out, you almost took them under your wing. 
you had to explain certain things. You had to split, explain about drinking. You have to explain about silly things like how to drink coffee and how to be no- a normal person in society that you don't really realize <laughs> when you're in the church. So I feel like we all kind of understood that. So we all kind of helped each other out. And I would say the same thing even yeah. with New York. You, Daniel, when you first came to the city, I... I was like, yeah, I'll take you under my wing and show you around. One thing that I think brings us really close together is actually this podcast. I've really enjoyed making it with you guys. And I think it really does bring us together and help us share old stories and learn more about each other. Yeah, I I have learned a lot about you both since we started doing this. I had to work through some repressed memories there too, so. You know, this podcast has really helped us get closer and... I've really loved doing it. I think for me, a a really important reason why we're doing this podcast, it's not obviously to gain a bunch of followers and suddenly become celebrities because we'd be doing a bad job if it was that. Yeah. (laughs) What are you talking about? Um, I'm famous. (laughs) (laughs) It's also not about making fun of people or trying to bash the religion or make people feel bad because of the way we were raised or the way that other people decide to raise their children or anything like that. Like we do this podcast to celebrate the love that we have for each other, the things that we've overcome. It's really about celebrating being together and and choosing each other, even in the ways that we're different. We're brothers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, (laughs) yeah. I like that. I agree. I think that was sweet. You know, there are other people who maybe are at a different place with their journey with Mormonism, and maybe they don't have two amazing brothers like I do, um, or, or, or siblings that support them like I have. But I do want to give them a feeling of hope that they can be, they can be Mormon-raised brothers too. We can all be brothers. Now, this is starting to sound like we're never going to do the podcast again, so I just want to say... This is a season one finale, and we will be taking some time off, but don't worry, we'll be back for season two. And we can't wait. Season two is going to be even better. In the name of family, amen. Follow us on Instagram at Mormon Raised Podcast, and don't forget to subscribe. The music in this episode is Anthem for the Good Life by Young Presidents, courtesy of Shutterstock, Inc.